everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Backseat Directors Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Hutchins, and you're, you are listening to episode 93. And this is a new kind of episode that I am introducing today. A new kind of episode that will be coming out weekly over the next couple of months. As most of you already know, Backseat Directors has grown outside the confines of just this podcast. We now have a brand new website at BackseatDirectors.com where our team of writers have their work featured with movie reviews and other editorials. So during these weeks of continued self-quarantine across the globe, I want to give you, the listener, something new and fresh outside of the regular weekly podcast that I, I currently record with Ryan Nevin. I also want you to get to know our writers and give them a chance to share their passion for movies. So in these additional weekly episodes with our writers, I have asked each of them to choose three movies that they love but have a rotten score on Rotten Tomatoes and to defend those movies. So first up is the one and only Formal Review, whom you might already know from some of our older episodes on a previous monthly segment called Movies Coming Soon. Thank you so much for downloading today's episode and for supporting the podcast. We want you to share the love and to tell your friends and family about us. You can find us on every major platform where podcasts are found, including Spotify. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find, uh, find uh, follow us on social media, or you can go to our website at BackseatDirectors.com. Or you may reach out to me directly via email. That's Andre at BackseatDirectors.com. Again, that's A-N-D-R-E at BackseatDirectors.com. And without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, the formal review. What's good, everybody? How's it going, man? Uh, pretty good. Just surviving. Surviving, Luckily, yeah. No, yeah no, no symptoms yet. Knock on wood. So yeah, no kidding. No, that's uh, that's that's good. I'm happy to hear it, man. And it's good to have you back on the podcast. Um, for yeah, for our longtime listeners, they will definitely recognize your voice and uh, uh, know that you were part of a a monthly episode that we used to do together called uh, uh, "Movies Coming Soon." Um, obviously the format of the backseat directors podcast, things are, are, you know, have changed and are still kind of changing and, and things are falling into place, but, uh, it's, it's good to have you back on the podcast, man. It is. Yeah. It's good to be back. Well, good. Well, this is, this is something that, um, I, I was kind of thinking about last week because I, I want to get, I want, I wanted to get you on the podcast, but I also want to get everyone, uh, you know, all of the writers for the website, a chance to be on the podcast as well. And, and since I, you know, can't be recording any new episodes for the mega movie show right now and no new movies are out in theaters. I was like, okay, I got to get a little bit creative and see, uh, what, what could be fun for our listeners and what could be fun to discuss as well with you. And, and so, yeah, so our topic today um, I have given you the task, uh, the formal review of choosing three movies that you personally love, but that these movies also have a rotten score on Rotten Tomatoes. So movies that you love, but for whatever reason, critics, uh, maybe don't like them right, uh, either. So, um, formal, are you ready? Yes, I am. <laughs> good, good. All right, man. Well, uh, I, I'm I'm going to turn it over to you, and I'll let you introduce uh, your first uh, movie. All right. So the first thing I'm actually uh, I really like what is um, a very classic of anyone who kind of like grew up as as a kid in the '90s. Um, this movie has been very much hated by a lot of people. Um, including the director himself. 
Uh, and that first movie is Hook. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, goodness. That's uh, a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Looking now, um, Rotten Tomatoes, it's a 28% um, on tomato score, which to me, like, I mean, as a kid, obviously, I mean, these types of things don't matter. It was entertaining. And even watching it as an adult, like, I mean, I feel that it's just as entertaining. I mean, I, I do see, obviously, problems with the story and everything. But to me, it's just quintessential Robin Williams. And, like, you can't help but smile, like, watching this film. And I think, like, there is, there is like, some messages of uh, someone being a good father and everything like that. It's not executed in the best way possible, but it's still, like... Robin Williams, I mean, especially with him passing, um, I don't remember how many years ago now, but I mean, obviously everyone knows, anyone listening is, he's a very talented, he was a talented man. And this is just one of those movies that I think amplifies that. Um, so yeah, I, I really like this movie a lot. Um, I can't help, I guess, like crowing or uh, yelling <laughs> Rufio. Whenever, whenever I want Rufio, to. So that's, Rufio, Rufio, yeah, ex- Oh, <laughs> exactly. Um, um, yeah, so on Rotten Tomatoes, I'm looking at it right now. Um, it has a 28% approval rating uh, among uh, Rotten Tomato critics and a 76% approval rating for the audience score. Um, however, though, and for context, I just want our listeners to understand, though, um, the 28% is coming in from 64 reviews submitted on Rotten Tomatoes for the, from the critics, while the user ratings or the audience score is over 731,000 people who have submitted their, their opinion of this movie. So just there's, there's a little bit of uh, um, numbers discrepancy in regards to the amount of actual approved movie critics versus, you know, just regular audience members. But uh, this movie is also directed by Steven Spielberg. It's kind of, it's, it's always kind of odd when you see a Steven Spielberg directed movie that has such a low score on Rotten Tomatoes. What do you think of that? Yeah. Uh, Cause like, obviously Spielberg is known for making some of the best sci-fi movies ever made. Some of the best world war two movies ever made. And just like some of the just, best fun movies in general he obviously he always has like a good score with john williams like there's just a lot of things that like spielberg has with like so-called spielberg magic that comes with every film and i do think that hook has that and the fact that it's kind of cool and even funnily enough um i'm not sure if you knew this but you know george lucas is actually in there and so is carrie fisher if i'm not mistaken as a small cameo did you know oh, that? Now you're blowing my mind right now, though. Are you? Are, are you're positive? Yes. You're. I've seen this yeah. movie a hundred times. You're positive. It's, no, you, you wouldn't know it. Um, like it's not like you see their faces or anything like that. But the, when uh, Tink first takes uh, Pan, uh, Peter back to Neverland, they kind of fly over the bridge right in front of um, Big Ben. There's a couple standing there. And that's George Lucas, and I think it's Carrie Fisher, but I know for a fact it's—I know for a fact it's George Lucas. Okay, so like, honestly, that'd be pretty cool. I mean, if it, if it is, and I'm not—I'm not doubting you. I just—I had no idea. I really didn't. 
And it's kind of also funny to that there's a police officer in there who's Phil Collins, which I think is hilarious to me. But <laughs> oh man, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. No, that's a that's a good bit of trivia. I mean, obviously George Lucas and Steven Spielberg are um, you know somewhat lifelong friends. They've they've worked on many many different movies together. Um, so I, I guess that wouldn't surprise me too much if that's actually the case. <laughs> I just looked it up. It is Carrie Fisher. Yes. So it is both of them. Oh, wow. That's pretty fun. That's pretty good. Yeah. No, that's pretty good. I, I have to agree. There's a level of um, nostalgia that definitely plays a factor into why I like this movie so much as well. I think my wife and I, we sat down and watched this. Uh, we watched Hook over the last year and I I genuinely love it too. And a lot of it, a lot of it really does stem from um, just how good Robin Williams is in the movie. And you would never, I mean, if you think of like a, you know, a kind of a, a character like Peter Pan, and I guess even if you're talking about, you know, adult Peter Pan, you, you wouldn't, I, I, you probably wouldn't have ever thought of, you know, Robin Williams as your first choice. And I don't even know if he was originally the first choice. Maybe he was, uh, I'm glad that he got it because he definitely makes the movie stand out definitely yeah yeah definitely i agree with that and i i personally also really like uh dustin hoffman as hook i think he does a he kind of makes it fun and kind of like i guess brings this i don't know uh kind of elegant acting to, to a role like that um and i think that's all and then you have like uh bob hoskins as well as me <laughs> yeah <laughs> who else is really funny yes um so I think there's like a, there's a really decent cast there um, that I think is just a lot of fun to see. So that's why I like it. Yeah, no, I yeah. agree. I agree. Well, I'm kind of surprised though. There's there's an element of the film that I'm surprised you haven't brought up yet that I I feel like makes the movie stand out even more, or at least makes it a lot more memorable. But it's the fact that the music's composed by John Williams. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I assumed it. I didn't actually uh, know that, but I assumed it was just because oh, it's Oh, how about that, man? How about that? I just dropped some knowledge on you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's yeah. John Williams, and it's kind of funny. I mean, the more you listen to John Williams, you know, if you go back and listen to a movie, I, I feel like – I feel like – I mean, not, not that I'm like an expert in film scores or anything like that or, uh, you know, that I, I know – I, I'm really good at the history of uh, uh, movie composers and things like that. Cause I'm not, but um, the more you listen to one composer, the more you start to recognize his music. And so kind of like, uh, you know, kind of smaller films like this or even home alone, I, you know, when people find out that, Oh yeah, the guy, the same guy that did star Wars and jaws and, uh, Jurassic Park. Oh yeah, he did Home Alone and Hook and stuff like that. And uh, but yeah, no, I, the music, the music to the movie is very good. And I mean, if you go back and listen to it, and you know it's John Williams, you'll probably say, "Oh my gosh, of course, duh, this is John Williams." <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I need to actually pay attention next time I watch that movie. It is one <laughs> of my favorite movies just to rewatch, just while like I'm doing laundry or something just because it's a lot of fun and it's not like I have to like analyze a lot of stuff. So it's always a good time. Yeah, no, it's, it, it, I mean, it's, it's like the perfect family movie. I, I think it's a great movie. It really is. Yeah. All right, man. Yeah. So that's your first movie. Let's get on to movie number two. So this is kind of another one that's good. Actually going to go off of kind of nostalgia. And, um, I think it's, um, it isn't the, uh, my th- third one won't be nostalgic based, but, 
this one um, is definitely nostalgic based, mostly because for me, um, I grew up in, in Minnesota, uh, where they're like obviously it's very cold there and stuff. So you kind of get to watch like a lot of sports and everything. And one of the bigger sports, similar to like um, Minnesota it, and also uh, Boston and other places, is hockey. Now, I wasn't the biggest hockey person. I still am not. But it's still part of the culture. And what actually really installed that in me was this trilogy of films. Um, I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> and, yeah, and specifically the one I'm going to talk about is D2, The Mighty Ducks. Not the first one, the second one. Ooh, I actually okay. personally really, really enjoy that movie. Um the first one's good, um, in my opinion. I just think that the second one is just done a lot better, and it's a little bit more bigger, and it kind of takes it outside of Minnesota, um, obviously because they're taking the, I guess, the Junior Goodwill Games or whatever it's called. Um, so I think what was really cool about it, and I'm still looking back at it, it's, I guess, kind of also for a kid, obviously. Um, these types of movies are just a lot of fun and also what's really kind of fun about me watching this movie and pretty much any movie that's uh takes place like in the early 90s minnesota like it takes i can watch that and be exactly where they filmed it i've like grew up in these places like um I'm, if you remember there's one scene like at the beginning of the movie when they're getting all together and they're skating everywhere in the across the city of Minneapolis and I can pick on roller out blades on roller. Exactly. Blades. Yes. Yeah. Roller blades. Yeah. And I've been in almost every single one of those locations. <laughs> so it's kind of, for me, that's just a lot of fun um, to rewatch it. And then like one thing that I think is still kind of cool about it is that it is a good sports movie in the sense it's about a USA learning uh, to be a team. And I think what's really cool is, Obviously, they bring a lot of people from all around the country, whether it's like an Olympic skater or this guy from Miami um, or a guy from Texas or just all the crew from Minnesota. And it's about them trying to learn as to be a team. Yeah, I mean, this is and that's kind of like what the United States is. It's a, div a diverse uh, country, obviously. And it this movie is bringing these people together to play hockey. Like, I mean, it's a kid's movie, so it's not the most, like, I guess, um, articulate way to do it. But, I mean, it's <laughs> – but I feel for, like, a kid and, like, re-watching it just, uh, just for, because the guy kind of grew up with it, it's a decent film for that, for that aspect. I mean, it's – and I think the – I don't know, the, the last speech – um, I guess uh, with it's like where are you from and they start like spitting off like where they are like when I was a kid I'd always like jump in with and say mine <laughs> so I always <laughs> found that fun um, and I mean no one can really deny the impact of these movies whether or not you're a fan of them I mean they came up with a hockey team based on these movies essentially um, yeah, and I know they even made an animated cartoon, like Saturday morning cartoon series. Yeah, um, from exactly. this as well. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that too. I really like that anime. I remember really like that too. But anyway, um, I just uh, looking at it now. The Rotten Tomatoes is uh, twenty percent, <laughs> so <laughs> it's not uh, highly critically reviewed. But neither is like I don't think any. If I remember correctly, none of the other ones are either. But then again, like 
they're making a spinoff now for Disney Plus remake. I don't really know, but so who who knows where it's going now? But no, yeah, that's I, I agree though. Yeah, because I think that speaks to the appeal that that these kind of iconic '90s movies. Uh, still have you know a lot of us you and I are kind of in the same age range you know but where these Disney movies were part of our childhood growing up you know so I mean when I think of Mighty Ducks yeah it's very reminiscent of my childhood and I remember uh, you know I I didn't I didn't really live I I grew up in Reno and our, our first home was kind of outside the city you know so we had a lot of land and stuff like that and uh, you know, but we still, we'd go rollerblading down the road and, you know, in, into people's driveways and stuff like that. And, you know, I'll, I'll always remember just pretending to be like one of the team members on Mighty Ducks. Like that's what I would envision as a kid when I strapped on my rollerblades and stuff like that. But, uh, um, no, but I think you made a great point though, about the diversity of the team on, uh, in, in all the mighty duck films. And, and it's kind of funny cause that's something I never really thought about. And I think that maybe adds to, to how well they were able to do it is because even as a kid, it didn't really seem odd to me or, and I didn't really question the fact that, that the team was co-ed and, yeah. you know, and, and uh, yeah. And I mean, this, this movie uh, D two came out in 1994. So I think mighty ducks came out in 92, I think, you know, I mean, so the movies, they're kind of aging, um, yeah. and, and it's not, you know, I'm not sure how, how much, um, you know, the, the gender politics kind of played the part uh, in the nineties. I mean, I was a kid and so I didn't really pay attention to that kind of stuff, but I think, I think that does speak well for the movies because yeah, they have, they have girls on the team and isn't it, it uh, isn't the best, um, the, the best goalie, doesn't it, the best goalie end up being a girl on the team? I think I can't remember. Yeah. How. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, Julie the Cat Gaffney, <laughs> which is one of the weird things about it, why uh, the coach put her on the bench for the entire time when Goldberg, obviously he's like the of the original and yeah, he's funny and everything, but one's clearly better as yeah. a goalie. <laughs> if you're an actual coach, you're going to put her as your starting goalie. You're not going to put Goldberg. Yeah, no, not I, 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 I get, I get your point. I get your point, but I, I still think, I still think it's a good message because, I mean, even as a kid, it's not really anything that I thought was odd or weird. You know that boys and girls would play on the same hockey team together, you know, and do well together. But um, that's a good choice, man. That's a good choice. And again, you know, for our listeners to give them some context on Rotten Tomatoes, um, it does have a 20% uh, approval rating by critics on Rotten Tomatoes, but that's only a total of 15 reviews submitted. Uh, while the audience score is surprisingly low, it's a 59%. So anything below 60% on Rotten Tomatoes is considered rotten. And that's coming from over 347,000 reviews submitted from the audience. Um, uh, the formal review and myself, we are applying to be Rotten Tomato approved critics. And so if we do get uh, approved formal, you and I got to go on and write, write some positive reviews for D2. Bump up that score a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. And I think like it's it's a weird uh if you like look at like the cast and where they've come from from them. Obviously you have Emilio Estevez, but like Joshua Jackson has become kind of this low key kind of good actor. But then like you have Keenan Thompson. This is like I think one of his first movies ever made. Yeah. And then um who's obviously a big SNL person now. Um and then like you have Al- Aaron Lore. I'm not sure if you know it but i know 
some listeners with the musical crowd like he's from like some people know him from like rent um and i think he was in the rent movie if i remember correctly um but it's kind of like really kind of cool and also interestingly from the first uh mighty ducks movie jesse smollett you know the guy who's like um who's had like this whole thing who's been on like the empire show um, yeah he actually is in that movie too um he's like the younger he's the brother of jesse hall (laughs) i don't know you may not remember who that is yeah yeah it's it's been so long yeah it's just kind of funny just to look back and like see who's kind of like grown from like these movies and like where they've like come from so like yeah yeah i just think it's funny to go back and like see see that anyway yeah. No, that's good, man. You, well, I mean, I, I when you started to kind of a uh, building up to to introduce your second movie, I thought you were going to go with the Mighty Ducks. Um, so you definitely surprised me with uh, going with D two. Uh, gosh, it's been years since I've seen these movies, but I I assume they're both on Disney Plus now, right? If they are. I still have the DVDs that I bought years ago, though. So oh, I'll perfect. be watching it on that because <laughs> I don't think you can find them on Blu-ray right now. I think like. They're like some of those. There's some Disney movies that aren't have ever been released on Blu-ray, or they did it like once, and they're like maybe thirty, forty dollars a disc. And I'm like, uh, that's that's too high for me. Yeah, no, there are always some funny prices on Amazon when I go and research movies. But um, yeah, no, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, Disney's so selective with what they release and what they don't release you know i mean the 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 infamous disney vault it's a real thing (laughs) like it's a real thing you know they'll put stuff in there for years and then all of a sudden say hey we're actually going to release this on video or whatever but um hopefully disney plus you know will change that forever you know essentially everything hopefully will be be made available if you subscribe to disney plus but all right man that's two two very good choices so far so i I am definitely interested to see what you pick for number three your third choice let's let's hear it so this is a movie that like it's definitely not uh well in a way it's not nostalgic but it's not like of my childhood that's for dang sure but it's um it's a movie that had, I guess, uh, looking at it now, it's a 39% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, but I actually really love this film, and I'm actually really surprised um, that it was that low when um, looking back at it, because I've always liked it. I remember, uh, I don't remember if I saw it in theaters or if I snuck in, because I wasn't 18 <laughs> when I saw this movie. But, um, or I saw it later. But, it was because uh, it came out in 2004. Um, it stars Denzel Washington, uh, Mark Anthony, and um, oh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Christopher Walken. Uh, it's Man on, Fi- Man on Fire. Oh, I actually haven't seen this movie. I really love this movie and i just rewatched it just like i think last week just to kind of uh because it's like one of those movies that like as an action movie like i watched it so many years ago i loved it then but i bought it like on blu-ray like i think like six months ago or something and i just hadn't watched it so i think this is just such an intense movie and looking and 
looking into why the critics didn't like it, apparently the reasons why they didn't like it was because it was too violent. And looking at it, I don't think it was that violent, especially from like where we are today um, in the sense of like Game of Thrones and stuff like that. Yeah. So looking back, it's, I think it's such a very well done, a very well made film um, directed by Tony Scott. Yeah, I I was just looking at that. Tony Scott has quite the filmography credited to his name. Yeah. And so I think like it's just it's it's not in my opinion this it's not like as good as Ridley Scott's um book, uh, movies, but this because obviously Ridley Scott has like a lot of um like themes and stuff like this. This one has a theme there mm-hmm. and it's about uh like obviously um if like you're child was taken what would you what i guess what uh lengths would you go to get her back essentially um and denzel washington like there are very few movies that i've seen him in that he has been bad or in (laughs) i don't think that there's any and i've said he's like good but the movie is awful like that movie that he did a few years ago that he got nominated um, for best actor, I don't Roman Esquire, if I remember mm. any correctly. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he was really good, but he was the only thing that was good about the movie. The rest <laughs> of the movie was I thought really bad. So, and he's one of my favorite actors, and I think like people really, I think really attach themselves to the Equalizer. But I thought that Man on Fire was done better because mm. I think like it's it's kind of that same type of just intense action uh with like really good drama and I, I i don't know he i think he did really well here as he does all the time and i think the visual of it and how it kind of like deals with the chaos going around and how it i guess i don't know um works in in telling this story and it's of kind of like love but also just vengeance because he's obviously he's a if i'm I don't know if he's like a technically an assassin or he's a contract killer. I'm not really sure like what I don't remember what his actual job is, but it's kind of, there's a definite like progression. And honestly, I think the score on it is really really good. Um and he it's very similar in my opinion. Like it's I I would kind of go far enough to say it's kind of like a knockoff of the Gladiator soundtrack. Like there's a very not like at the epic fight scenes, obviously, but um, but the like the kind of epic slow songs uh, with uh, and I think it's the same artist. <laughs> well, I was gonna say I'll tell you why that's, there's probably some similarities is because the Gladiator um, the Gladiator musical score was composed by Hans Zimmer and Lisa Gerard, so it it yeah, was yeah, kind of it, a co-composed. Lisa Gerard also co-composed the the musical score for Man on Fire with Harry Gregson Williams. So, yes. so yeah, so <laughs> yeah, no, there's a reason why. <laughs> yeah, th- there's a lot of I think that there's a lot of similarities, and I think it works really, really well. Um, and I think like especially the the ending of the movie, I I remember like as a kid, I I was like having. Um, like I had like a lot of emotion at that end of the movie just because of the, how the score moved me. Now not so much, but 
uh, back then, yeah, I, there was like a lot of emotion just because of how the score was um, back then. So I, technically, I think I was 14 or 15 when that movie came out. Um, no. So I'm not, I don't remember if it was, I saw it later or if I saw it in theaters. I honestly don't remember. No, that's great, man. And I, I just added this to my watch list. I, I, I definitely think you put up a, a, a great enough argument for me to spend some time and sit to sit down and watch this. I, I like Denzel Washington. I, I think, I think you've told me he is your, your favorite actor of all time. Right. Or am I wrong? It, it does vary on day to day, but he is like one or two. Like he's, he's definitely, he's very, very close top. Yeah. I just I, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, just, I, I want to say he's one of my favorites, if not my favorite. Yeah, it's just it's I have to think about it before giving a definitive answer always. But he's definitely at the top. Yeah, I, I really enjoy Denzel Washington. He's definitely one of the most talented actors of our generation. Um, uh, and what's kind of funny, I was just kind of looking at the filmography as well from Tony Scott. You know, they also did Deja Vu together. Um, mm-hmm. which I'm a big fan of that movie. I thought that movie was very good, very creative. Um, I, I don't know what you feel about this uh, Denzel Washington movie, but it's actually one of my favorite Denzel Washington movies. But I'm a big fan of The Book of Eli. Do you like that movie? <laughs> hey, listeners, just FYI, um, I wanted to put it in this little disclaimer here. Uh, we are about to talk spoilers for the movie The Book of Eli. Even though it's 10 years old, I just wanted to give you guys a heads up in case you haven't seen that movie. Um, so just fair warning, spoilers ahead for The Book of Eli. Yes, actually. I think uh, there's a lot of really good things. I don't like all of it. Like, just like it's not perfect for me, but there's a lot to like on it. I like the themes that it was going with. Like I, I really, I watched it mostly when I first heard of it. Uh, uh, um, like it's a Denzel Washington playing a blind dude, like, and he has to an apocalyptic world with, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, who is the Commissioner Gordon? Why am I blanking on his name? Oh. Right now? <laughs> Gary Oldman. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know why I'm blanking on his name, but yeah, I heard the cast. It sounded good, and I went to see it. I haven't watched it in years. I do have it. I just haven't watched it in years. But yeah, I actually really like that movie. I think it's, I like the themes, like I said, and I think the action is really good. Yeah, no, I, I really, I really enjoy that movie. I, I formal, I might have to put a spoiler alert uh, at the beginning of the podcast when I do the intro, because isn't that kind of the big reveal of, of the book of Eli that he's blind? <laughs> isn't that the big reveal? Because you don't know that he's blind, do you? I'm trying to remember if you know that ahead of time or not. I don't remember. Uh, I, I, I just remember. I remember when it got to the end and, and listeners again, I mean, I am going to put a spoiler warning in the be- beginning of this because this movie, I remember watching it for the first time. And when it got to the end, how I, it just blew me away. It really blew me away when you realize that the Bible that he has is, is all in Braille and that he has been, he has been memorizing it from Braille because he's actually blind. I, I just, I, when it got to the end and that was the big reveal, I was floored. I thought it was so cool. Such a creative uh, way to end the movie because they do a really good job of they, they, you know, they don't, I think they do kind of like a, like a look back on some of the scenes when, 
um what's her name uh the 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 character that Mila Kunis plays when she she didn't even realize that he was blind and when she does she's like oh my gosh but that's a great one. Well, okay, yeah. I'm kind of yeah, I'm kind of getting off topic here, but let's let's get back to Man on Fire. So, uh, again, for reference and context uh, to our listeners, on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 39% approval rating among critics, with 168 reviews submitted by critics, but an 89% approval rating by audience members, with a uh, 423 plus thousand reviews submitted for Man on Fire. So it's always funny, man. It's always funny. And there was, there was almost as big of a discrepancy between the critic score and, and audience score for hook as well. You know, when you, when there's such a massive divide between your casual moviegoer, you know, and, you know, an approved movie critic or whatever. Um, but no, I mean, lots of movies out there exist. And I think it's fun that we get to kind of highlight some of these movies that, you know, that we personally feel and believe are really good. And maybe critics missed the mark on this one. So, um, we did. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, formal, you told me at the beginning or before, before we started recording, you told me that you have a, an honorable mention. Would you like to review that one? Yeah, I'll, I'll review it. Yeah. So this is kind of like, I guess like I, I was going back and forth, um, with this one, but, I thought that at the end of the day, which hook was a better film. Um, okay. But, and I know you'll appreciate it. It is <laughs> another nostalgic one, and it is also a uh, sequel. Uh, but it is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. The Secret of the Ooze, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad you... <laughs> You are. You chose this one. Oh, that's great, man. I'm I'm pumped to to talk to you about this one then. <laughs> yeah, I I think it's I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, just like I mean, another part of my childhood was Ninja Turtles. I and I'm still kind of a fairly big fan of, of their, um, I guess the franchise, I guess. And uh, I think I I think you said you were talking with Rye uh, about it uh, on a previous episode. I don't remember which, uh, about like the Michael Bay ones. I don't hate them <laughs> uh, in the sense of I really like what they did with the turtles per se. Like I like, uh, especially in the second one, how they kind of like kept the brotherhood of the turtles. Yeah. Uh, the Michael Bayisms. I mean, they're Michael Bayisms. There's not really much. And Megan Fox is not a bro O'Neill. That is, <laughs> that is garbage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but I, I, for me, it's that they're still kind of part of it. And I mean, I don't watch like obviously the new kids um, stuff that's still going on now, but I've kind of kept up with it. Uh, it's kind of just like a the Ninja Turtles anyway, have been just a big part of just who I was as a kid. Um, so I watched these movies and, the first one obviously is, I think, really, really good. And the second one is not as good because I, I know that they kind of took away a lot of the violence because the first one was too dark for kids and whatever. And so Michelangelo's nunchucks are now sausage links. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, whatever so but it still has that kind of feeling of like a dark ninja turtles movie um and yeah it's problematic um it's not a 
great overall film, but I still think the practical effects of the Ninja Turtles of the Jim Henson works, I think just looks still really good to this day. And I just, yeah, I could still rewatch like the first two. The third one is, but I watch it with, (laughs) I watch the third one with hilarity. Um, And yeah, the third one, the third one is, uh, I I don't really, I, I, Honestly, I'm not too familiar with that one because I've maybe seen it twice in my life. And even as a kid, I never gravitated toward it anyway. But I loved the first two. Like, loved, loved the first two. Had them both on VHS. You know, watched the heck out of both of them. Um, But number two is really fun. It's really fun. And yeah, it is different. It's a little bit more lighthearted than the first. You know, they have have a new actress that plays April O'Neil. Um, and then, you know, they introduce a new character, um, with, um, Kino who's played by Ernie Reyes Jr. Um, and, and, and it's, it's still good. It's still good. You know, there, there's, I think there's a lot of more elements that are more reminiscent of the animated cartoon, you know, like the original animated cartoon, um, from in a secret of the ooze, you know, it's, it's a little bit more cartoonish and whatnot, but I still think the grittiness and, and the, the groundedness of, of the original Ninja Turtles is still there in, in the second one. Yeah. I, I dude, I, I honestly, man, I, I love both of them. I, it's been, it's been maybe a couple of years since I've watched them. And I think, uh, our, our little chat's going to make me turn these on this week and, and give these a watch. But, uh, no, man, I, I, I'm right there with you, dude. I love these movies. The first and the second one, I think are really, really great movies. Um, but yeah, no, that's great, man. Did you know that, uh, Ernie Ray's jr. Was, Donatello in the first one? I did. No, I did. It was kind of a <laughs> I, I I know on a previous podcast recently I mentioned that uh I um oh I know actually this was on uh, the Make a Movie show so no one would have actually heard or seen this yet but we were chatting about the Mortal Kombat uh video game movie, you know, from from the 90s as well. <laughs> And the thing is is I uh, I got involved in in Taekwondo when I was like 7 or 8 years old. And the the main reason why I wanted to is because of Ninja Turtles. Like I was so obsessed with the Ninja Turtles. Like I wanted to learn martial arts. Like it's one of the main reasons why. Um, but in Reno, I joined um, this this program, uh, a Taekwondo program that had a few. Um, I, I don't even know what you call them, but just a few studios in Reno, and they, it was called West Coast Taekwondo. Well. West Coast Taekwondo was co-owned um, by uh, one of the co-owners was Ernie Reyes Sr. And so I actually got oh, to man. meet, yeah, no, I got to meet Ernie Reyes Jr. when I was a kid. I have pictures with him and everything, um, just like at our Taekwondo studio, you know, because I'm pretty sure he lived in California at the time, but they would come to Reno, you know, just to do some seminars and stuff like that at, at the Taekwondo studios. But, uh, I remember meeting him and just feeling like so starstruck as a kid. Like I still have the Polaroid and stuff like that, but <laughs> That's really cool, actually. Yeah, I'm actually a little jealous of that. <laughs> I mean, as a kid, dude, it was like I was on cloud nine. Yeah, uh, just, yeah totally. Yeah, I can understand. No, Who no, was your favorite a... turtle, though? Oh, dude, it was always Raph. It was, it was, it was always Raphael. Always, always, always. Um, I, I just there was there was something about his his um kind of inner turmoil and struggle that he had that um even as a kid i know this is kind of 
I don't know if this is this is kind of dark to talk about, or at least feelings that I had as a kid. But I, I just really related and gravitated towards Raphael as a kid. I just, I don't know. There was something about him and just kind of his energy that he um, emoted that I really, just really liked. So yeah, Raphael was... I mean, gosh, dude, I've got so many stories, man. I, I remember as a kid, I, I was, I don't know, I could have been like five or six years old, but I was so obsessed with Ninja Turtles and especially, specifically Raphael that I remember asking my parents like, Hey, can I change my name to Raphael? I don't like my name. I, I <laughs> wanted to be Raphael. <laughs> um, yeah, but here, let, um, let's, let's hear your favorite turtle. Who's, who's yours? Um, I'm actually in the same boat as you. I, Raph was always my my favorite just because, I mean, I don't have to repeat it uh, for the exact same reasons that you said. Like, I just kind of attached myself to him just because of the turmoil that he was going on with. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good, man. That's really good. And, and it's it's cool, though, because, you know, there are four characters and, you know, each of them are unique and different and and i think that's i think that's one of the reasons why it had such a mass appeal for kids is because it, it you had you had such a variety to choose from and and like which turtle you liked and the different colors the different weapons the different personalities it's just i man i really want them i want some new movies and i want them to be good like and i'm with you i didn't hate the michael bay movies but they were just they were just so different from from what I grew up with. And I know this is nostalgia speaking, you know, but I, I dude, I look back on that original Ninja Turtle movie and that's what I want, man. I want the dark. I want the gritty. I want, you know, I want, I want the Ninja Turtles cussing like they did. In the first one. Yeah. Um, it was good though. It was good. But uh, no, man, those are great choices here. Get, uh, list, list the four films that you just went through again. One more time for our listeners. So honorable mention was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze, um, then Hook, then um, D2, uh, The Mighty Ducks, um, and then Manifire. Very good. Very good. And so listeners, you know what to do. Uh, check out these movies. If if they are being recommended by the formal review, you know they are good. Um, I've seen three of the four, so I can vouch for three of the four. But uh, I, I got to be I, I, I got to go uh, take some time to watch a uh, man on fire here this next week. But uh, uh, thank you so much, man. I, I, I loved having you back on uh, and I, I look forward to getting the rest of the writers on, too. I think this is kind of a fun, a fun little segment that we could can all do to kind of shed some light on movies that are either kind of forgotten in history or ones that were looked over by critics. But, uh, um, uh, why don't you let the listeners know how they can reach out to you if they want to chat with you online or read any of your articles as well. So, uh, my URL on pretty much all social media platforms, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, it's at the formal review. Uh, you can hit me up on there. It's pretty easy to uh, reach out to me. I'm, pretty good to talk to at least um yes, i think so and <laughs> you can also check out uh the former review podcast where i kind of just talk about movies in general of uh and kind of if it's a specific actor kind of just kind of give like my thoughts on his kind of his or her career um and and that's pretty much on anything whether it's like spotify apple Podcasts, google pop pretty much anything doesn't really matter um 
And then my written stuff, uh, for the most part, is on backseatdirectors.com. So go check out that. And I hope that leads into you. <laughs> Thanks, man. No, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, no, I, I've I've really enjoyed, you know, kind of getting the team together and, you know, especially having you there. Um, you know, you are years, years, uh, you know, have uh, you bring years of experience to the website and just, you know, all the other different outlets you've written for. And, uh, um, yeah, so I, I appreciate it, man. And I look forward to having you on the podcast again. So we got to do this again soon. Um, but on behalf of the formal review, I'm Andre Hutchins with Backseat Directors. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and downloading today's episode. And in the meantime, we won't see you guys at the movies, but enjoy whatever it is that you guys are watching and streaming. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy out there, wash your hands, and uh, we'll check you guys next time. The Backseat Directors theme song is Let's Go to the Movies by Ozo Motley. You can find the album Ozo Motley Presents Ozo Kids and all of their other music on iTunes. The Backseat Directors podcast is available to download on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and most other podcast platforms. Join the conversation online and follow Backseat Directors on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Sit back, relax, kick up your feet, and turn off your phone.